Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we siphon knowledge from the gas tank of hospitality. Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year. Second episode in the new year. First time recording. Yep. An intro. That's right. Yeah. It's good to see you. You made it. Yeah. I'm I'm here. I'm alive. Yeah. I, I see you're alive as well. Yeah. There were a lot of bets taken on whether you'd make it to 2023. Yeah. There's a bets every year. <laughs> I keep coming out on top. Yep, you it's sure inexplicable. do. I'm losing money at a crazy clip. <laughs> yeah, you're going to go out of business. <laughs> oh my so uh, any New Year's resolutions for you? Um, I think always to try to be more present. How about you? That's a good one. My uh, The big one for me is less screen time. Yeah, oh, for I sure. I can get sucked in. I can get sucked into the phone. Big time. Yeah, but with no real benefit. I'll, I'll, I'll get into reels on Instagram. I'm saving stuff. I'm not revisiting that stuff. I'm not making those recipes. Yeah, I think a benefit of travel is that it kind of prevents, it, it kind of tempers the screen time. It sure does. It takes you out of that routine. Yeah. Because yeah. you have other stimulus. Yeah. And Speaking both, of travel, what yeah, do you got? What, well, what do you both, have coming up? <laughs> we're both going to Mexico, I think. That's right. We're not going together, to be no, clear. No. We're both separately going to Mexico. Same area, though. Yeah. Same uh, Riviera Maya That's right. region. Have you been to Mexico before? I have. Um, I've been a handful of times. and uh, Anything memorable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a few years ago, uh, and this is relevant to our guests. You'll see why later. Um, but a few years ago, we went down to Oaxaca. Uh, so this is me and some of the employees from Scofla Group. And it was, it was a lovely trip, uh, subsidized by Bonas, which is great. Um, but on the last day, uh, we had to make it from Oaxaca to Mexico City to fly back to Chicago. And our how, how far of a drive is that? It's a pretty lengthy one. I want to say like five hours. Okay. By bus, wow. I think if you took like a car and didn't like if you, you could do it more efficiently. I think. Um, I think it's actually more than five hours. Um, so it's hundreds of miles. Yeah, it's it's no short distance. Yeah. On uh, shaky infrastructure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. Good thing to uh, to mention there because I think at the best of times you are on uh, on decent roads throughout mm-hmm. the journey. Um, but what happened to us that day? There was some sort of chaos, civil unrest. There was it, it could have been like a cartel issue, but one of the main highways was blocked off. Was this like it in view? You could see. Yeah, you could see like and smoke like and like oh, overturned okay. cars and stuff. And and we, the bus driver and none of us had any idea of this ahead of time. So we were trying to drive using this highway and we get to it and it's like everyone stopped and you can see what's going on. And the bus driver makes an announcement in Spanish and my Spanish isn't, you know, is pretty good. I was a Spanish major, uh, sure. but something is said over the, uh, the PA uh, that I don't really understand. <clears throat> and basically the bus starts to reverse, uh, like along the shoulder of the highway. What kind of bus are we talking? It's a coach bus. It's a huge Okay, like bus. the air-conditioned, fancy coach bus, like yeah. luggage underneath. Exactly. A, a giant bus. Tour bus. Not a bus that you'd want to maneuver uh, down back roads. Yeah. But so that's exactly what we ended up doing. We reversed... We found a spot, like a tiny spot where the guardrail broke in the highway, like off to the right. <laughs> we back up and then we go through this like tiny clearing and all of a sudden we're off road with this bus and it's not like a smooth, there's no path. It, it, there's no road that you can no, see. No, like tire track. You're just driving no, through the we, desert. You're just like, okay, we're just, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's just like a 
crazy off-road like there's you know trees dirt that we have to like ford a river at this point that's like filled with giant boulders and what? the how the deep is this bus, water it was like not particularly deep but like you could see boulders like over the surface um <laughs> and the bus like try so basically at, at one point we all got off the bus and the bus driver like tried to go across but the bus is like he's going very slowly and the bus is like tipping each way all right hold on so did you guys hire this bus like no no it's like like a normal it's like yeah it's a municipal bus oh my god and um and then it like backs out it tries to like go again to find a new path through the water and like eventually gets through and then we all reboard the bus um, but it was like a harrowing uh, experience where I thought I was gonna have a heart attack the entire time we had to make a flight that we ended up missing um, and so wait, hold on. As as team leader here, how are, what are you? And as well, the, the probably funniest, the person who speaks yeah. the most Spanish, how are you? What are you yeah. telling? So basically, everybody? the people. What I gathered from the other people on the bus who were Mexican uh, is that was that this isn't super uncommon. Like some of them had seemingly been through something similar before. They weren't freaked out. I certainly was mm-hmm. freaked out. I mean, especially if you know how I am <laughs> and I'm in charge of three other people that come from yeah. Scofflaw group. Um, so I have a responsibility to make sure they're safe as well. The funniest part is that Rory, one of the people on the trip, he was asleep through the entire experience. What? And Joe and Laura and I, I, I was just like, they were much cooler about it than I was. Um, but I was, I was just a losing it, man. A quivering mess. Yeah, it was like totally internal. I wasn't yeah, like right. loudly You're, doing yeah, anything. Poker face. Yeah, but beneath the surface, I was a complete mess. Oh, man. Um, but so, yeah, this crazy off-roading uh, coach bus So how long does this journey, whole debacle take? I don't know. It, was, it took long enough because there was traffic outside Mexico City where we missed the flight. Um, it was kind of a dicey situation to begin with, like there was a very slim chance that we would make that flight given yeah, and that just how long it. it did. Yeah. So yeah, I was panicking about the flight being missed that I knew was coming and so on and so forth. But anyways, um, <laughs> back to, so <laughs> yeah, we happened, made it. So then you, but so you missed the flight. We missed the original flight, um, which turned out to be a blessing because that flight had some issues with its landing gear. And one of our friends was on that flight and she described it. Um, as a similarly harrowing experience where she didn't know if she would survive the flight. Um, so I don't know if I could have done back-to-back experiences in the same day that uh, way. Did you get out the same day? Yeah, we got out the same day. Um, the flight was fine. I think, if I recall, we we had, I think we, we each of us took like, we had little tiny bottles of mezcal, and I think we took like a pull of mezcal before the flight took off because oh. we needed something to calm our nerves, which is, I... Don't really drink ever on a flight, um, but this was exceptional. You're not a not a flight drinker. No, I'm not. Yeah. Ellie will have some wine sometimes, depending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not a flight drinker. Anyways, we made it back safely. It was quite the story. Uh, the bond between uh, Joe and Laura and Rory and I remains strong. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's one of the longer intros that we will have recorded. Sure, it's a good story though. Yeah, it was wild. And I'm glad you made it uh, 2023 <laughs> to tell yeah. it. Maybe you should start betting on me and whether I'll survive into the new year. Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah. we have a lot of uh, Mexico talk this week with our guest Lou Bank. Yeah, uh, my first time meeting with him. Very interesting guy, energetic. He's got a lot to say, and he's he's done a lot. He's uh, done a lot of charitable work. Uh, we. We talk about uh, kind of a start with Marvel Comics back in the 80s and 90s. Um, Danny's known him longer than I, but uh, he can talk to about his uh, experience with the Agave 
uh, distillates. Yeah, he's uh, an agave evangelist. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my friend Rob Lapata, who gave me a little primer before talking with Lou. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great episode. One of our longer ones that we've done. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Lou Bank. All right, so wait, who's taking which sparkling? These are fresh. Yeah, so you get first pick as our guest. Ooh, yeah, God. one has fresh. This is what I have every day at home. So All right, I'm fair enough. I'm going to go with the tall guy. Love yeah. that. A good choice. And I get second guess as the uh, best host. <laughs> <laughs> and then Danny's left with uh, That checks his out. I did get, get the, the worst seltzer. one, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I got the off-brand berry. No, that's what you want. That's yeah. good. My partner Mandy, she would not uh, not approve. She doesn't like the berry flavored ones. Mm. 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 So yeah, what's in that uh, special orange bag you got there? Okay, uh, so first of all, agave nectar ancestral. Wow, you don't even know what that means. You I just mean, said wow. Just no, to I mean be it, nice I'm to assuming me. it's like. It seems it's a very like special honey type made of from agave. agave. Yeah. Well, agave, you you you've got agave nectar. I'm guessing at the bars, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. Agave yeah. syrup, agave mm-hmm. nectar, right? Well, it's all everything you can get uh, here in the U.S. is industrially made, and it's made almost entirely with Blue Weber agave from the tequila industry, and yeah. right. Um, so, are they making it after they press those piñas or? It's all diffuser, man. Okay. It's all super industrial. But it's, it's like, so okay. But it's not. They haven't used those like pinas for making tequila first. No, no, okay. no. There's no way to do that because like the sugar. Yeah. Right. That's in essence the sugar. Hundred percent of the sugar getting used. Well, so, so agave nectar. In order to have agave nectar, you've got sugars that could have been fermented into alcohol. Right. Right. So. Um, the the most efficient way to extract sugar from an agave uh, is to uh, shred it while it's raw, then hit it with acid. And I don't remember if it's sulfuric or... Um, um, nope, can't remember. I'm just going to go with sulfuric. Sulfuric acid, uh, and then to take that slurry of water, sulfuric acid, and agavins and cook it in a, um, uh, like a big pressure cooker that's the the... the like the autoclave. Thank you, the autoclave, yeah. and uh, and then that that'll convert it into sugar or cook it down into syrup, right? Okay. But but the way that this was made is there's these families in um, Hidalgo and other places in Mexico, but I got this in Hidalgo um, that have been making pulque for hundreds of years, and the market for pulque, you know, it's almost non-existent these days. Um, so instead, they're cooking the aguamiel down that they've harvested in a traditional way from the pina, which is still alive at that point. Like the traditional way, stone ground, like Tahona? No, 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 no. This is like literally the, the, the agave is still in the ground. Oh, got it. Sorry. And you, no, it's okay. And you, in order to make pulque, you've got to like dig into the heart of it, wound the plant. The plant's like, what the hell are you doing to me? <laughs> and, it, and it starts um, producing this liquid to heal itself. And you get five to 10 liters a day. Ferment it, you've got pulque. Cook it down, you get this whole different kind of syrup from a completely different agave. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. And then, so it's like a sap. Oh yeah, it's exactly it's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And and then and what's pulque? So pulque is it's sort of like 
if you made kombucha, and you know, I'm just saying that as a reference point, but is if you made kombucha, right, just this fermented beverage, um, uh, instead of using tea, you use that uh, that aguamiel, that that literally that liquid, that sugar liquid, the honey liquid from the agave, the uncooked agave. Um, that's that's pulque, okay. and it's yeah, it, it, it's like it predates mezcal by hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Wow. Um, but it also, it, there's no way, there, there are people who bottle it and can it and ship it up here, but the process for doing that requires you to kill it in a way that takes all the, the flavor and the heart out of it. So there's really no way to make it travel and still be good. And so there's no real understanding of it. I mean, you guys. Unless you're there. Yeah. I mean, you guys are professionals. Right, like you, like you, you do booze for a living, yeah, and you don't even know what it is, right? So, like, so that there's no real understanding of it and no real calling for it, which is why these families are, like, I think everybody who drinks mezcal, who drinks tequila, should be so excited about pulque that they just head straight to Mexico and right and find these families and start drinking it and, and drink it there and just stay there because you can't leave and then bring just. Stay in Mexico yeah. and drink. So there is alcohol content in it, like a kombucha. Oh yeah, it's, so it's the, like five that, to eight percent. So the sugar is converting. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, exactly. I've made yeah. kombucha at home. It is a disgusting hobby. You got <laughs> scoby. Every time it gets bigger, it's it's pretty gross. What what are you doing with your scobies? Uh, I feel bad throwing them out. I feel like you're throwing out like a pet or something. Oh, so, you, I yeah. thought you just put one over Shannon when she's asleep as a prank. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting idea. <laughs> I, ah, what's on my face? Yeah, I mean that, that's what it looks like. It looks like a little gremlin. I, yeah, I, I found a tooth in one once. <laughs> <laughs> little horn, little <laughs> uniscoby. You know, I I, I met I used to uh, well, I still do I guess. Um, pandemic, it's harder. But I used to to teach classes at the fermentation festival every year up in Wisconsin, and I met a bunch of people who would do different things with their scoby. And the most unique one I met. Uh, she would dehydrate hers down after covering it with a little bit of lemon and sugar and make these like chew treats out oh, of yeah. them. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So Lou is arranging like. uh, an array of different distillates on the table currently. I think that's, that's, yeah, that's it. All with that. Well, well not all distillates. Special though. Lou handwriting on there. Cacao. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Cacao vinegar. There's a cacao vinegar. Yeah, and, nothing uh, has a agave label nectar, that's not handwritten. Nectar. Yeah. Ancestral. And, well, this is CL water. Is, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that doesn't work over podcasty. But I have guess you had any uh, taken when you've been flying back? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've had a ton um, in the past taken from me. In fact, <laughs> this most recent trip, we we went over the holidays, and you know, I, I got. Um, uh, I, I got remember f- it was always a dice roll. Yeah, well, well, you know, initially it it's like was one in ten, right? That would get taken. Yeah. Yeah, but that's about right. Uh, but um, then I got flagged by the Illinois Liquor Control Commission. And so I was like, there, there's, a, there's a state limit where you're not, the, the regulation. It's three liters, or what is it? Well, it's, so it's four liters per person per year, whether okay. you're coming, you know, from Mexico or Indiana. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's the regulation. And you, you break regulations and people just yell at you. But then there's a law on the books that in the state of Illinois, if you bring, I can't remember if it's more than 40 liters or 40 gallons per year. It doesn't matter which one. I broke it three years in a row. <laughs> um, <laughs> I broke it. Like that's, that's a felony crime. Whoa. Jeez. So how'd you get out of this? 
Uh, well, you know, in essence, it, I didn't get out of it per se, but they didn't um, convict me because. Is that know, why you have that ankle bracelet on right now? <laughs> <laughs> no, we had to record just, at your house. Yeah, that's just why we're a in style your thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 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 they they saw that literally, a I was honest about it every time because I always declare everything. Um, so you know, not yeah, you weren't to, hiding it, yeah. right? And then B, I was using it to raise funds to do all this work in Mexico. When they said, "Okay, you're like you're a good guy, but you do." that again and we're gonna have a different conversation so now if you i do just... this for a fourth year in a row yeah we're really coming down so here. how many how many different passports have you had made <laughs> well there's luis banco and yeah luis banco that should be your good name alter ego. Yeah. love that superhero speaking of yeah. alter egos and superheroes uh you kind of transitioned yeah, take away us all the way back we want yeah. to hear about the uh the marvel days Oh, yeah, sure. Like, now? Yeah. Are we already recording? Yeah, yeah, we've been recording. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) This is actually the... Oh, I would have phrased this stuff differently. Um, The very nice people at the Illinois Liquor Control Commission... They're actually our sponsor, so... We're the only podcast they sponsor. Can I just say, too, I am thoroughly impressed that you get advertising money from the european union right. i like whoever your ad sales people are <laughs> genius yeah myself genius <laughs> danny yeah danny puts himself out there yeah i do yeah you gotta do it um but yeah so you've had an incredible journey from two from one completely different industry to another I, I I would say many different industries, yeah. but like so. Okay, so clearly you're referencing my my early days. Yeah, early, in, early in comic books. Yeah, pre ninety four. Oh, very pre ninety four. Yeah. Uh, so I I started in Marvel Comics back in nineteen eighty seven, and um and and the year before that I had been living in Southern Florida in Sunrise, Florida, which should have been called Sunset, Florida, because everybody was like <laughs> a million years old. <laughs> Which I guess would be my age now. But um, uh, so I didn't like I, I had friends there, right? Like the, the guys who owned the comic shops, but I, like they were business people. So I didn't like yeah. I didn't have friends. I was only there for a year. So I worked out a lot. And, and so then I get to Marvel. I'm 20. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm 21 years old uh, when I started Marvel. And the, the year prior, I'd done nothing but work out in my free time. So I was in good shape superhero shape superhero shape but but so there's there's this woman who was in charge of the character appearance program and i was in sales right but she was in charge of the character appearance program uh so she'd send people to you know like like car lot openings and mall openings where they would pay to have someone showed up like an actor show up dressed as captain america or wolverine or spider-man and we would get we would get these um We'd get requests from places like, you know, children's hospitals and stuff to send the characters out. And they never had the money. They couldn't put the money into it. And Marvel couldn't pay the actor. Well, they could have. But they didn't. They weren't going to pay the actors to do it. They're like, hey, uh, you know, uh, Lou, he's, he, he could go in the Spider-Man costume. And he's, he's on salary. And so I got to be charity Spider-Man for like two and a half or three years. Wow. Right? Is that where the charitable connection was made you think oh no 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 i was was planted honestly like i i i i mean the charitable god i just i mean i had this conversation over coffee this morning uh Mm. with with uh with a rabbi friend of mine um (laughs) i was doing my annual confession um you know i like i i 
I was blessed to have so many adults um, treat me with so much kindness as a kid. And and that included, like I'm saying adults, but even when I was like a freshman in high school, there were these kids in my Jewish youth group um, who were two years older than me, uh, uh, David and Scotty, um, who like treated in two years, like doesn't seem like a lava when you're in high school. Yeah, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's huge. Oh, yeah. Upperclassmen. Yeah. And they treated me with such respect and such kindness. And, and that, I mean, all those adults doing it really set me on a direction, but it was these kids doing it that made me realize, oh, wait, I can do that too. If these kids who are two years older than me can be kind to me, I can be kind to kids who are two years younger than me. Um, and that, so it was really, for me, it was started in high school. Hmm. Yeah. But, well, but, but, you know, getting to be Charity Spider-Man was a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any, any uh, fun anecdotes from those times? Any, any events that stand out more than others? Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll limit it to one, uh, b- both because some of them are embarrassing. Well, they're all embarrassing. I mean, I was, you know, was a, a guy dressed in red and blue tights going around visiting children. <laughs> but, Probably uh, on a list somewhere. Yeah. So, so, so I, was, um, I was flown out to Las Vegas to send Jerry's kids off to camp. You know, Jerry, Jerry Lu- Mathers, of course, the Beeve, right? Jerry Lewis. Oh, Jerry yeah, Lewis? Yeah, yeah. That was Jerry Mathers, the beaver. Leave it to beaver? Well, well yeah, I know Jerry Mathers, but Jerry's... So, so you know, like I was... One of the episodes I listened to was the, the episode with uh, with Billy. Yeah. Uh, yeah right? Zerka, Muscular yeah. dystrophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, you guys are probably too young for this, but it... it People my age, a million years old, will remember that the Labor Day weekend every year, Jerry Lewis hosted a telethon to raise money for muscular dystrophy for oh, the wow. for the MDA, and uh, and so with some of that money, the kids with muscular dystrophy would be sent to camp, and so this always took place in Las Vegas, and they always sent the kids, you know, to camp from, so so they had me come out. It was me and Miss Nevada. <laughs> and Miss Nevada, oh, dude, and and so Miss Nevada was heavy flirting with me. How long have you and Miss Nevada been married? <laughs> Hang on, I'm getting to it. <laughs> so, so Miss Nevada, as, after we're done, the kids are on the plane, they're going. Miss Nevada turns to me and she says, "I'm in marketing at the Excalibur. Come by and see me." Wow, I know I, that was, <laughs> wh- huh? Oh, oh, okay. Ooga. <laughs> so, so I, I, I run back. Literally, I didn't even wait for the taxi. I ran back to my hotel room, right? And I, because it's a, it's a one piece, the Spider-Man outfit, and I'm like, I'm always sweating in it, and and so it's and and I rarely clean it, so like it stinks and I stink. So uh, so I, I go and I take the shower and then I I put on my Dockers and my to, my topsiders, my best uh, polo shirt, and uh, and I go to the Excalibur, right? <laughs> and I go up to the sales department and I I don't remember her name. Let's just call her Jeannie, and I say I'm here to see Jeannie, and they say Oh, okay, what's your name? And I say, Lou Bank? Uh, oh, wait, no, tell her Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so like, she disappears, and she's gone for, like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Seems like forever. And, uh, and finally, Jeannie comes out, and, uh, and she looks at me, 
and she does not look at me the way she looked at me when I was in my red and blue tights. You know, there's a reason that my head is shaved now, if you, if you follow my drift. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really busy. Oh, but man. thanks for coming by. Here's a token so you can go play in the in the casino. Do you have, <laughs> do you have Clark Kent's number? <laughs> Almost didn't get that one out. I, I think I think she was looking more for a Bruce Wayne type. Yeah, if, you know, yeah. if, you, if you get my sure. meaning. But uh, yeah, strike it big in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. But there's there's my one All of right. one of my many Spider-Man. <laughs> so you were. Uh, what were so? How are you working for Marvel aside from being uh, a Spider-Man? <laughs> aside uh, from, <laughs> yeah. So I I was in the sales department uh, initially as an assistant sales director, and then I think a year later I was uh, a sales manager, and then like another year or two later I took over as director of sales. Um, and so I was this for comic books. So you're selling to stores, or is this like? Oh yeah, it was very the actual books. The actual comics, yeah, yeah it was it very. It wasn't a movie empire yet. No, 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 nothing like that. Yeah. I mean, we like, pff, you know, there were a couple of movies made that were all pretty laughable when I was there. Yeah. Um, it was the dream, and nobody imagined. <laughs> nobody, like, God, if you had told, if you had told me then, let alone my my ten year old self, that there would be a Doctor Strange movie that ran almost three hours that was amazing, like that's that just <laughs> never even occurred to me. Uh, but yeah, so I, I very specifically was in the department that focused on selling comic books to comic book stores um, and did that at Marvel for six and a half years and then uh, did it at Dark Horse Comics for another three and a half before I looked up and realized I was 30 years old and had only comic books on my resume and thought that might not be a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. It could be if you good. Stay in comic you, books oh, you, forever. Yeah. You're, you're saying it sounds good as a guy who's an adult in a world with a Doctor Strange movie that runs <laughs> yeah, three hours, true. and yeah, this was back not back in the day. Yeah, so different what it, world. So what was next? So I, have, I so I left. I left um, uh, the comic book industry. It would have been in '97, in essence, and I started doing freelance marketing. Uh, primarily for the entertainment industry, I did a, a couple of things for um, for New Line Cinema, a couple of things for some some small toy companies, and and then you know when I was at Dark Horse, one of the things that I set up was distribution of four packs of comic books to the toy industry, um, where you'd get like you know four Star Wars comics for I don't know three ninety nine or something, um, and it was a really good uh, seller for Toys R Us and KB Toys. Are you guys old yeah, enough no. to? Remember? I remember those, yeah. Okay, yep. yeah. Uh, which were huge back then. Yeah. And for some reason, after I left, uh, Dark Horse stopped selling to them. And they came to me, the, the buyers came to me and said, hey, uh, they, you know, we can't get these anymore. Can you help us find something? And so I started going around to uh, to other comic book companies, uh, like the guys who did the Simpsons comics, the guys who were doing whatever they were calling worldwide wrestling back then, yeah. um, and and doing four packs of that. But in in that process, the guys at Viz came to me and they said, "Hey, Lou, uh, we hear you're doing this, and we've got this property, uh, this comic book called Pokemon, and we're trying to get it <laughs> sold into stores, and nobody." seems to know what it is can you help us and wow. you know this is 99 early 99 february wow. 99 and uh and i said well i'll tell you what guys 
<laughs> like, I'm not going to charge you anything for it. Uh, give me six months. See if I can do it. See if, you know, like I've got the connections there. Maybe they're interested. Maybe they're not. Let's let's give it a try. Uh, but if I do it, then, you know, I'll have distribution into the mass market uh, in perpetuity for the comic. Cool? And they said, yeah. And we signed a contract. All good. And then six months later, Pokemon, you know, have you it's heard huge. of Pokemon? Yeah, I've huge. heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Pokemon was Pokemon. Yeah. And I had to set up this distribution mechanism because I certainly couldn't do it. Um, but the beauty of having that as a separate entity was I didn't have to do any work and I got a nickel for every four pack sold. Wow. Yeah. So I suddenly found myself. I mean, it wasn't like I was a millionaire. I was making like. 60 grand a year though to not do anything yeah. yeah and so i started doing pro bono work uh for nonprofits, which you know which is what led to me entering in in realistically in about 2000 2001 entering the uh, the world of non-for-profits hmm. wow and then god bless pokemon yeah. <laughs> Does he, do you still have connection to it? No. So, so this was also coincidentally the same year that I got divorced, and uh, from Miss Nevada, <laughs> from Miss Nevada. Yeah, yeah, from, yeah. From from, from misjudgment, yeah. um, and um, <laughs> da 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 da. So, um, uh, I I did a lot of dating. Yeah. And I wasn't the most organized guy. And you know how you like you talk about you lost the contract? Like I don't know where the contract went. And at some point I think they figured that out. And they just were like, Oh, we could keep the nickel. See you see you, Lou. And <laughs> so if you found it, memory. you could just sue them for whatever. Uh, you know, honestly, <laughs> like like I, I probably could. I probably would have taken down some friends who set up the the distribution mechanism for me in yeah. doing so. And and honestly, like what a gift that was to have 18 months to two years where I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah. yeah. Joiner's podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural gluten-free it's 12 drinks in a single can and guess what that can actually floats you can take it to the beach the pool on the boat camping hiking to the game everywhere you go it is recyclable and reusable it's a party in a can and everyone's invited party can is available at multiple retailers around chicago around the country and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend and now back to our interview how and where did agave end? <laughs> Shut this down, Lou. Shut it down. No, I'm just curious, honestly. Yeah. yeah. No, so, you know, I like I, I had my drinking days, but I started passing kidney stones in my early 20s, and that that forced me on more of a water route um, than an alcohol route. Uh, but, but. You know, I found myself uh, uh, in in 2002. Oh, yeah, I found myself in 2002 uh, needing to have a job that wasn't like a you know the freelance stuff I was doing. I needed to be able to not think about finding a new client, so I went looking for work. And I got hired by Rogue Ales, this uh, microbrewery. Yeah, yep. you know Rogue. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I got hired by Rogue, and um, and. It was the like I I'd had five glasses of beer and I like literally just five glasses of beer my whole life up until that point 
and uh, and I thought all beer tasted the same. And then suddenly, like I mean, you guys get it, and now I get it. But the like the world of flavors is just incredible. So I fell in love with it. But then I discovered I was gluten intolerant. Mm. Yeah. Okay. What year was this? Two thousand two. Uh, uh, well, 2002 was Rogue. Yeah, yeah. And then after not being able to move my shoulders for a few years, in 2005, wow. I discovered that I was gluten intolerant. Wow. So the effect of it was just you were getting super inflamed? Oh, dude. Yeah, like now, I, I was, you know, I I think somebody snuck some flour into a sopa that I had down in Mexico. And just, you know, it, okay, I shouldn't say A, because I probably had like eight of them. Um, uh, and actually, not sopa, you know, memelita um, or mamela. Um uh, I probably I probably ate like eight of them and but I, like it threw my back out. It, wow. Yeah, because wow. my body just gets inflamed and blows stuff out, and then my core muscles are gone, and then I'm I'm screwed, man. Jeez. Yeah, but so so I had to go find something else to drink that was delicious, and I thought at that point, you know, being the naive guy that I was, I thought, oh well, whiskey that's made from the same grains. I can't drink whiskey. And now I realize, that okay, it's distilled out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Um, but I thought all I could have was rum um, or tequila. And my friend Mark Cox, another dear friend who just passed away a month ago, mm-hmm. um, my, my, my friend Mark Cox said, Lou, you should try mezcal. And so he, he dragged me to this Benny's tasting in 2005 that Ron Cooper was doing for Del McGay. Wow. And that was my reaction was, wow. Like, here was this whole other thing that I knew nothing about. Um, was it just Vita then, or they had the single variety? Oh, they didn't even have Vita then. Oh, what was it? Oh, it was Chichicapum, oh, it was, was Monero, it was... San, uh, San Miguel? Uh, or, oh, the, the Deminas, what is it, San whatever, Deminas. <laughs> Santa Catarina Minas? Like the, yeah, that's, uh, so that's the Monero, the Pachuga, yeah. uh, the Tobala. Like, yeah, it was like this, The I think they had just five basic expressions. So the Crema, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this was this was pre Vita. And it was hmm. it was it was an wow. epiphany for me. Absolute epiphany. And the funny thing is like I bought a bottle of the uh the Chichicapa. Um Chichicapa. Yeah. Uh the smokiest one. Uh, is it? I mean that's what in the bartending world when it was out, it was like that was the smokiest of the expressions of Del Maguey. Oh, it's funny. Like I, but, I just I don't even register smoke yeah, anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. But to someone who you know yeah. Was new to it. Yeah. But it was it was remarkable. I'd go to these tastings. Ron Cooper would serve me five or six things, and they were all great, and I'm sipping them, and it's fantastic. And I buy a bottle, I go home, and I try to sip it, and I can't. And I don't know what's going on. I have to put an ice cube in it. Mm. And Burning. I like... Hmm? Burning. Yeah, it was yeah. too strong for me. And I didn't realize, like, because he had these tiny little copitas, these tiny cups that you were drinking out of, like, it forced me to do tiny little sips. And then, I'm, you know, I'm at home with a big old glass, and I'm yeah. drinking it, you know, the way I drink this LaCroix that you've given me. <laughs> um, and it doesn't it doesn't work the same. You, get, you, you need the tiny sips. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe it's a good time for an interlude to show Tim, you know, the, of the stuff on the table, how different it Tiny tastes. sipping yeah. method. That's right. Sure, we can do that. Let's see, what should we start with here? Oh, yeah, let's start with some Tomas. Oh, wait, no, that's weird. Hang on. Let's... <laughs> I brought it specifically because it's weird. I brought you guys I'm going to some... take a pick yeah. just to uh, aid the listeners. Right. I wish you do our Polaroid now, too. How fun. 
Right. This is the first time we've had All right, so an just interlude rip this that like we're a shot, recording. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, actually, most people think that, but the best way to consume it is by snorting it. If you can just get your yeah, nose sure. in there and just do like alligator bubbles, that oh would be God. ideal. So, yeah. what's the first one? Uh, so, so what we're drinking here is a quiche okay. from Fortunato Hernandez and San Baltazar Gigi Capum, right? So, cool. yeah, so exactly where Chichi Capa comes from. So, Danny, uh, Danny, whoa, salud. Yeah, I'm not, I'm just still <laughs> nosing it, man. Right. Uh, I haven't even started. Yeah, and that's, and that's how I like this. This is uh, the first time I've ever consumed alcohol in the studio. Really? Wow. It first is. time I've had alcohol this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tim's usually drunk. So I was just down uh, for the holidays down in Oaxaca and visited Fortunato. And and he just, he, like, he laid out probably 12 different expressions, 12 different mezcals um, that uh, each one made with a different agave. And uh, this was the one that I that spoke to me the most. So I took a bottle of that to this go. This is great, yeah. Isn't it lovely? Yeah. It's, it was a very smooth first taste then the smoke comes in it's it's nice yeah of course i'm going mini sip that's right as you should yeah <laughs> right. it turns out who sip knew it, don't shoot it yeah well, that's what but, the boxes of delmia used to say oh yes but you know even when you say sip it like when you sip wine it's a bigger sip than you right would, right and even whiskey, like things that are, I find that things that are aged in wooden barrels, right? And none of this is aged in wooden barrels. It's, right now it's aged in a plastic bottle. Um, uh, the stuff that's aged in, I'm sorry, the finest plastic bottle. The finest. It is, because it's got an extra uh, ring on the top, so it, it tightens better. Um, <laughs> things aged in wooden barrels, I find, like all of those vanillins and everything else that's in the wood make it... Um, sort of simplify whatever's going on mm -hmm. in the spirit so it makes it easier to drink bigger sips is my point yeah yeah um lou has hosted many a tasting at his house uh where he pulls from the incredible home collection how many bottles are in this home collection estimate Oh God! I mean, you know it's a really good question. And he I, can he does themes like if you <laughs> had interest in it and you were friends yeah. with Lou, you I'm can come for the Superman one. You could just say like <laughs> I really like Arroqueño, and he'd be like, "Cool, I've got ten Arroqueños for us to try wow. from ten different you know places." God, it's funny you'd say that. So I like literally so I had I had a couple show up at my house uh, six months ago who said exactly that, like, I like Araqueños. And yeah. and there's something about Araqueño for me, and, I, you know, I don't know if it's me it's, or if it's the plant, yeah. right? But, but in 2013, I stopped tasting Araqueños, or 2014, I guess, that that spoke to me the way that they had previously. Hmm. And so I thought, hey, wait a minute. And I went downstairs and I found a whole bunch of bottles, like from 2008, from 2010, and I broke them all out. And we just did this, this Eroqueño tasting, Eroqueño being one of the more than 300 kinds of agave. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, you brought me a special one from, uh, I mean, we'd have to look back, but it's at home. Ev everything I bottle. bring you is special. Yeah, no, but, but, but it, 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 there is something that happened. Like you, we could taste. There was a significant difference, and I'm not saying the, that the Araqueños now are bad, but I'm saying there was something magical going on in the stuff from two, at least 2008 to 2013. Hmm. Yeah. Any guesses to what uh, you could attribute it to? You know, I like 
it, it could be as simple as um, in 20, like in, up to 2013, everything was really just wild. And now, uh, in order to accommodate the market, uh, more of the Araucano that's being utilized to make spirits is farmed. Okay. And yeah, yeah you know, we did um, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Kaplan and <laughs> David Hammond uh, put together a, a fundraiser for us in 2016. This is for sacred, right? Yeah, for yeah. I don't think we've actually said sacred. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Saving agave for culture, recreation, education, and development. That's sacred right. and a beneficiary of uh, 818 Tequila. Amen. We benefit. Yes, we benefit from 818. Yes, yes. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, uh, huge. Huge, um, but, but and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, because I'll make sure we do. But <laughs> um, uh, so 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 Ronnie and David put together this fundraiser, this LTH fundraiser, um, and we raised six hundred dollars so that uh, our friend Lalo Eduardo Anales um, could purchase this field of ninety nine year old Araqueño plants, hmm. right? And like back then, I didn't realize anybody was farming Araucano. Can they grow that long? Well, this is the thing, right? Is Lalo told me that in Santa Catarina Minas, Oaxaca, where he's from, right, it's an 18 to 22-year plant. It takes that long to reach maturity. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, um, and so he figured nine years old, okay, in like 13 years, we'll be harvesting, right? And it was literally the first, the first one reached maturity three years later. Hmm. And, you know, I just, as I say, I just visited there. Um, and I would say about more, more than three quarters of the plants have already reached maturity and are gone. So, so what's the point? The point is like, what's, what's different in the Araucania? Well, maybe it is that, that more of it was being farmed after 2013. And as a result, it reaches maturity earlier. And as a result, it's not living as hard a life. And so maybe it doesn't taste as complex. It doesn't have the same mm. complex sugars. Maybe I mm. don't know. I don't know. You know, like I, you know, there's so much. So many people will say it's this, it's that, and the truth is, the could more be. I learn, the more I realize I don't know about this stuff. Well, it also could be personal to you, and you except know. that the the other couple I was tasting with, they also recognized there's mm. something else going on in the yeah, Edelman. I mean, the power sense. of suggestion, it's surviving. Power of I mean, oh, that a powerful could... guy <laughs> and very suggestive. <laughs> yeah. He's used the force on me many times. <laughs> um, what are the you know, varietals that you think are in that magical period currently? Oh, I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I, I don't, I haven't found anything, um, that, uh, oh, nope, that's a lie. Okay. So here's, here's, <laughs> here's where my head is going to go, right? Is if you get outside of Oaxaca, like 90, last time I checked 90, I think it was 92.7% of all my scow was made in Oaxaca using espadine, right? Mm -hmm. Farmed espadine. And uh, and it's quickly becoming the same kind of monoculture that Blue Weber has become in Jalisco. And if you get outside of Oaxaca, you start finding some really interesting... Well, I mean, there's, which is not to say that there's nothing interesting in Oaxaca, but the, the thing that most interests me right now and flavor-wise is the Lamparillo, um, that my friend has a 24,000 acre ranch of wild Lamparillo uh, up in uh, Durango. And 
you know, he he's uh, he comes in from the bull sperm business, and he was basically I know <laughs> all a, my friends in Durango are in the bull sperm business. Uh, liquid to sell, right? Isn't it like one of the most expensive? Like bull sperm. I think that's I, just what w- your dealer is telling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, there was like for... <laughs> if you get the female bull sperm, no, it's actually I, cheaper. I, there was like some random diagram in like the paper that said like most expensive liquids. and like Really? Like some kind of animal uh, semen was insanely expensive. It was like the top of the chart. We can fact check this later, guys. Sure. Yeah. Well, we'll Tom we'll, Brady semen? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the mezcal talking to him. <laughs> is this <laughs> he's getting loose, baby? Is this is this going to end up in the in the episode's cocktail by any chance? Is it... <laughs> we'll see. Okay, <laughs> like the readers' cocktail challenges used to be. We'll be taste testing that, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. But so so he was he had these twenty four thousand acres uh, to to graze his, his cattle on, and they were coming back with like bloody hooves and stuff. And uh, he saw they were these spiky green plants and wanted to tear them out. And the botanist he hired was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's really good agave, really good hmm. agave. So yeah, so now Lucky he's making that person said that right. Yeah, yeah, or, or we'd be twenty four thousand acres lost, and hmm. I guarantee you, like it's not like uh, he's bordering a bunch of suburban homes, right? <laughs> he's in the middle of a huge. It's a it's a place called the Zone of Silence because when we were testing rockets to go to the moon, one of them fell into this area and they couldn't find it. Like the radar couldn't pick it up. Oh, yeah, <laughs> huge, huge area, um, full of even more wild lamparillo, and so you know, I, I'd say for really interesting stuff right now. I mean, I'm not saying don't drink things from Oaxaca because you know, I mean, Lalo Anales, Lalo Cura, like I mean, it's so many. And for, I just poured your Fortunato Hernandez, and but man, like try stuff from other states. There's there's miracles everywhere in Mexico. Yeah. So given the choice between the two, would you prefer a wild agave versus farmed? And what are is it just the different notes that are expressed, or what? What's how could you put into words the difference? I guess. Well, you know, like I wouldn't try to claim that I have any kind of intellectual palate, right? Like I don't have a trained palate, and the stuff that I love, I love. Um, but, you know, Lalo puts in front of me a farmed Eroqueño. It's going to taste great. Uh, but, you know, I, I come at this from a very, very different angle, right? Like, I'm not in the adult beverages industry. I'm I'm in the nonprofit industry. Mm-hmm. And I just, at this stage, I want people to drink more and more and more wild agave because wild agave is disappearing, which yeah. might sound counterintuitive. Right. Right. Well, I would argue that the wild agave is disappearing because everybody's drinking farmed espadine. Yeah. And as a consequence, they're tearing out all the wildland where the wild agave would grow and they're turning it into row after row after row of espadine monoculture. And that's going to continue so long as the consuming public continues to make the choice that they're only going to drink something that is not farmed espadine one out of every 10 times. If we just make that three out of every 10 times, as this, this industry continues to grow, I think, I think we're going to be in a better situation. So the, the raw plant is one example of pre-industrial production. What are some other um, methods for distilling that, you know, the old school way and then some of the larger scale production facilities are doing? What's, yeah. the, what's the difference on a production scale? 
Oh, or I guess say, it's production process. The, what's the difference in the process? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. And, and you know, anytime somebody says this is how they make mezcal, they're just, they're, they're making such a blanket statement because there are plenty of places, and eh, not plenty, there are places that are making mezcal using the most industrial method, that same diffuser that we were talking about when we were talking about the agave nectar, right? Um, so... You can find that, but then you can also find people who are cooking the agave underground in a stone-lined earthen oven, or maybe they're cooking it above ground in a, um, uh, 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 an oven, above ground oven, steam oven, or even like a fired oven uh, that's made out of uh, a clay and brick. Um, there are people who are cooking it not underground in a stone-lined earthen oven, but the fire's underground. This is weird method in San Luis Potosi, where uh, the fire's underground, but then you put the, the agave on top of that and you cover it. It's like so yeah, the smoke from the fire still is yeah being infused into the yeah. Like there's so many different ways to cook it to in essence transform these complex sugars into simple sugars for fermentation, and then the milling process. You know, anywhere from using uh, a wooden mallet uh, up to using something like a a, a, a tahona that stone wheel that's pulled by a horse, um, uh, or maybe it's an electric cart, maybe it's a solar-powered cart, maybe it's gas-powered, or they're throwing it into a, uh, a wood chipper, um, uh, like just like in Fargo. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the fermentation... It's generally being done open air, but there are people who use closed fermenters, which makes life a lot easier, so you don't get all the crazy other bacterias in there that want to turn that alcohol into vinegar. Um, but, you know, open air method even, there's so many variations where you've, you've got your above-ground wooden tub, you've got your in-ground wooden tub, you've got your in-ground just dirt, just like a hole in the ground that you're fermenting in. You, I, I was, as I said, I was just, I think I just said, I was in Santa Maria Ixcatlan, where they, they ferment in bullskin where they've just got like these packets of bullskin that are hanging between four logs. Um, so open air fermentation and then distillation, the separation of alcohol from water um, uh, is, is going to be performed by, you know, heating it up above uh, 173 degrees below 212 and, you know, done uh, in an industrial column still in some cases, but then also done in a, in a little 60 liter wood fired clay pot and everything in between. Yeah. It is very rustic production. Yeah. I was going to go ask, down there. What's the most, um, <clears throat> most creative form of distillation? I guess probably the bowl skin. Right. Uh, wait, so is the fermentation? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's, what's the most unique process? Or maybe <sighs> the unique setup all the way through from ferment to distillation, perhaps. God, you know, like when you, you, you ask your unique, in essence, you're asking what have you seen the most or the least of, yeah. right? <laughs> or or yeah. a setup where you're like, I don't even know. I've never seen this. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. how'd they even what's, arrive at exactly, this process? Yeah. Oh, man, I, I got to tell you, like every time I go somewhere, that's what I run into is something else that makes me think, what the hell are they doing? I've seen like clay pots just, you know, buried in the ground as the fermenters. Like you see so much stuff and it, 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 reminds you that every time you think you know how to describe the process for making an agave spirit uh, in Mexico, <laughs> like you, you, you find something else that shows you you were just wrong. In, in, I, I've been visiting Ixcatlan since I think it was 2016, and, um, and I thought I understood it. And on this most recent trip, I realized, like, so, so in, in most places... 
where they're doing um, wood-fired small stills, whether it's clay pot or copper or steel, right? Um, they'll distill it twice in most places. There are some places it's just single distillation. But what I figured out that they're doing in each... And when I say I figured out, I don't mean like I discovered no, this. Yeah. I, just fi- I just finally yeah, realized it. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it was an epiphany to me. They, of course, knew it forever. And some of my friends were like, oh, yeah, no, we knew this, Lou. You didn't know this? Where, <laughs> what they're doing is they'll put in a bunch of the ferment with the agave fibers distill it once so that what you're left with is in that clay pot you've got a bunch of the fibers in there and then they'll dig those fibers out and then they'll put in a bunch more of the fermented agave with the fibers and then add that stuff that had already been distilled once back in there Mm. and then do that again and then do it again. And so you get this, like, I don't even know, like, is is that, that's not a Solera method, but it's like a weird... It's weird. Yeah. And it and it creates this beautiful spirit. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. It always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. probably be a good time to go over the different types of agave based spirits so what what are the uh what's the list i know i know i know bacchanora because of my favorite cocktail from billy sunday it's the only time i ever had to buy it what's the what, what's they the cocktail? A, we the talk about it every egg. single episode <laughs> no one knows about this cocktail even billy sunday yeah barely knows uh, the bartender's from billy sunday not yeah. the uh is he a baseball player yeah anyway yeah um <laughs> Uh, it's it's like a it's an heirloom tomato water thing that has bacchanora in it and uh, kumel and uh, it's yeah. kind of like a clarified um, bloody mary. It's it's, oh. it's a savory cocktail. It's a savory cocktail. I like a savory cocktail. Yeah. yeah um, so I know bacchanora. Um, there's racia. What what are the other ones and kind of what are the differences? Oh. Is it all are the differences? Is there a short answer? Well, yes and no. <laughs> Which I guess means there is no short answer for me um, to anything. What's your name? Well, as, uh, you, you know, so agave spirit is the category. And then you got tequila. And then you've got mezcal. And you've got your ricea, right? So what is tequila? Tequila has to be made from Blue Weber agave and has to be at least 51% agave. Or at least the, the, the sugars used to ferment it have to be, uh, 51% of them have to be from agave, though how they measure 51% is beyond <laughs> me. Um, and, uh, uh, and distilled in one of five states, and really in Jalisco or then parts of these other four states. And... Mezcal is, uh, you can use, and, 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 and there are plenty of tequilas that are 100% agave, and they actually say 100% agave, but then it actually could be 100% agave, and it doesn't say 100% agave, but if you say 100% agave, it has to be bottled in Mexico, in the region where it's sort of, where it can, you can make tequila, um, which is a whole nother 
can of worms. Yeah. Like this, and this is why I say like, there's no short answer. Mezcal, well, mezcal can now be made in 10 states in Mexico or really in Oaxaca or then parts of nine other states. And it can be, you know, any agave can be used and it has to be a hundred percent agave, but it doesn't really have to be a hundred percent agave. And some people like Real Monero, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, they have declassified because they don't want to have to, they've, they don't call it mezcal anymore because they don't want to have to deal with the same regulations, right? Well, you, you know, before, before Real Monero did that, actually, Lalo Cura was the first to do that. And they declassified, I, I don't know Real Monero's but, yeah, um, just maybe specific reasons. why but... people declassify. Sure. So at least in Lalo's case, the primary reason he declassified was because when you, when you, th- so, so these are called denominations of origin, at least in Mexico. And the, the, theoretical purpose of it is to preserve cultural heritage but the problem is in fact you're homogenizing so that you're destroying cultural heritage so lalo like lalo's whole mission is to ensure that they can continue making uh, what what they call mezcal in their community for another 500 years and they they have a different local name for the science the, the agave that is goes by the scientific name rodacantha Right? Uh, wait, did I just? Yeah, no, that, yeah. So <laughs> in, in Santa Catarina Minas, the Rodacanta is called Quiche. This is interesting. Actually, you yeah. and I had this very discussion. <laughs> yeah, this was a funny discussion we had years ago. Um, so they call it Quiche. And, uh, it, but, but almost everywhere else in Oaxaca, and I say almost everywhere else, it's everywhere else I've ever been, but I'm sure somewhere else they don't, um, they, uh, they call Rodacanta Mexicano. And Quiche is the name they use for a Karwinski agave. Now, anybody not familiar with all this stuff is going to be scratching their head. And even, like, I'm pretty familiar with it, and even I'm stumbling over which is which, right? And it's confusing. And so I understand the uh, desire to homogenize, to make things simple for the consumer. But in doing so, you are literally trampling on the cultural heritage of Santa Catarina Minas, which is the opposite of Lalo's intent. So he pulled out years ago from being a certified mezcal for that reason. And there are other, you know, plenty of other reasons to pull out, uh, you know, just, just literally you'd have to adjust the way, in fact, in Ixcantlan, they couldn't do what they do be, uh, with that whole Solera distillation process. Somebody's going to yell at me for that phrase. Um, <laughs> uh, because what you're going to end up with uh, is not going to conform to the chemical makeup that the Mexican government says uh, you have to conform to to be certified as mezcal. Yeah. But then, you know, the other side of it is, you know, we're talking about 10 states and there are 31 states in Mexico. And, you know, we know for a fact that there's a tradition of making agave spirits that are referred to as mezcal in at least 23 states. And, you know, even in Jalisco, when I, when I travel around, right, I'm visiting communities where they call it vino de mezcal. But you can't make mezcal in Jalisco. And so why should these families be separated from the words that are their cultural heritage? Literally the heritage that they've been been shepherding for hundreds of years it's it's like i you know i understand the purpose yeah and they're not granted the right to sell it as something so they lose out on that income so they have to call it something else it's very kind of messed up oh yes and the vast majority of people who can legally use the word mezcal in commerce look a lot more like the three of us 
than they do Lalo. And that is not how you preserve cultural heritage. Yeah. So if you're decertified, is it just Distillado de Agave? Is that the umbrella it falls under then? Yeah, well, that's what they call it in Mexico. But here, of course, it's just Agave spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And um, I was going to say you guys are slow, but... Well, uh, maybe yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Are no, you looking no, for something no, else? No, not at all. <laughs> I just, wow. I'm usually the slowest one. Yeah. Hey, I just love Mezcal too much. I've been talking. That's my excuse. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, I don't. I mean, whatever. Um, just a splash, please. You know, as we're talking about uh, Vino de Mezcal, you know, this is uh, this is from Tomas Virhen from, uh, okay, there we go, from uh, Zapotitlan de Vadio, Jalisco. So he would call this Vino de Mezcal. Oh, this one's cheesier. Oh, it's so cheesy. It's this one... is a cheesy spirit. Yep. Wow. Love that. Well, you got a, a cheesy guest, you're going to get a cheesy spirit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is for Tim, the savory daddy. Yeah. Yeah, so so uh, Chava, my podcast co-host, Chava, <laughs> and I were... Um, Wait, and what is this made from? Oh, so, okay, so this is an ensemble of... Oh, good Lord. These words are all Spanish. Okay, so it's an ensemble <laughs> of Extero Amarillo, Cimarron, and Sanizo. Now, okay. <clears throat> here again, Sanizo means something else according to the DO for Mezcal than it means in this community. But Chava and I are... One of the projects that we're doing at Sacred is we're building a... Uh, is this a, a lot lower ABV than the last one? Um, I don't know. They, 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 I can't lower. find an ABV note on More any like of these bottles. <laughs> yeah, it's not true. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so we're in uh, Zapotitlan de Vadillo because we're building a library there, 4,000 square foot library made of adobe that's going to focus on regenerative agriculture. And Tomas is one of our local partners who's, um, who's helping inform what the books will be in there and helping us in general just to ensure that this follows the traditions of the community. So we're in Tomas's tasting room that's full of all of these beautiful old glass garofones, these beautiful glass bottles. And they, they all have like 2010, 2013, all these years on them were like... Those big ones? Yeah, the bit like 20 liters. you brought? Yeah, 10 liter, 20 liter. Like, you just want to dive in and taste everything. And we're like, can we taste that? He's like, oh, no, no, I'm saving this. This is like last my family will be able to taste this. Like, oh, what about... The, no, no. None of this stuff. Like all you can, re- all you can really drink is this new stuff that I made, and then. And, but I kept asking about every single one until we got to this. This is a 2009 batch. And he's like, "Oh yeah, no, that one you can have." <laughs> and, and, and he laughs just like that. Oh, the cheese batch. It's all yours. Well, <laughs> so it turns out he says like he, he poured it to me thinking that I was going to be disgusted, right? Yeah. Um, because this is over fermented. In this community, you drink this, you're like, oh, yeah, no, that guy screwed that batch up. And he kept it because he just didn't have the heart to throw it out. Um, I was like, okay, I want all of this because it tastes like blue cheese, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But th- like, this is one of the things that I look for. Yeah, you want that. Note. I want every one of their mistakes. Yeah, give I will me the th- funk. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, it's interesting. Ooh. I mean, it's just so cool tasting them against each other because they're so different. Oh man, Danny again with the empty glass. Are you really empty already? <laughs> no, it's Danny, tiny. these are to be savored. <laughs> have some dignity. You know, it's even family it's t- reaches out, puts me in rehab. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, it's like it's like blue cheese with some kind of chili pepper in it, mm-hmm. right? Like you put that on a cracker, and I'm eating it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so 
obviously you were introduced in 2005 ish by Ron Cooper in the tastings at Benny's, but you've, uh, certainly gone a lot deeper since then. At what point did it really turn into like, you know, an obsession, passion, becoming the, you know, agave evangelist in the community. <laughs> agave evangelist. Um, like how, when did you start taking trips down there? When did sacred, you know, how did all that stuff come to be? Sure. So I'm not a guy who does casual hobbies well. Yeah. Um, in, in, I, I went to several Ron Cooper tastings, right? And then in 2008, um, I got married uh, in, in 2007. Um, and, uh, and my wife had this beautiful 13-year-old German shepherd who was getting, well, getting old, 13 mm-hmm. years old. And she couldn't go up the stairs anymore. And her favorite park is Humboldt Park. And so uh, Connie wanted to move into a house close enough that, that Tasha could easily walk to the park. Could live with Danny Shapiro. Yeah, that's right. I'm right there. I thought you were over here. I'm at like, yeah, well, I don't want to dox we'll myself. His, yeah, Tim's going to dox me. <laughs> I'm going right to swat you. Yeah, yeah. So we're neighbors. Yeah. So, um, so. Yeah, I've we, walked through the park to come to your house. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so we end up um, buying this house a quarter block off the park. And, uh, and between the time that we closed on the house and we took possession, Tasha died. Mm. Right. And uh, like, I mean, I, I love dogs, but my wife loves dogs. And I, I just, we, we didn't have the, uh, the fortitude um, to pack up the old house, see all the tufts of fur. Like, it just wouldn't have happened. So we just hired somebody to come in, pack up the house, and move it, and we left for two weeks or something like two weeks. And we were like, where are we going to go? And my little sister, Deborah, um, she had spent some time in Oaxaca to learn Spanish, and she said, well, you should go. Like, she'd go it a month at a time, and she just loved it. And, um, and so there was that, and then it was right around Dia de los Muertos, so that also touched on... Tasha dying and like mm. so so we we're just like let's let's go try this Oaxaca thing and um and within the first two days I knew it was the worst idea I'd ever had in my life <laughs> because avoiding a move sounds brilliant well no, that was brilliant yeah. but going to a place where I can't speak to anybody mm. I speak zero Spanish I speak very little English I speak zero <laughs> Spanish and you know, like, so truthfully, like, one of the things that I can do, one of the only abilities I have is to talk. And and I found myself in a place where my one tool that I am capable of utilizing to get things that I want, I didn't have access to. <laughs> and I was ready to leave by day three. And suddenly my wife, I'm not exaggerating, became fluent in Spanish. She had lived in Spain for six months. She swore she didn't speak Spanish. And it all came back to her because I think she didn't want to leave. So at that point, things started to turn around on the trip. And, and I ended up, I, I ended up, we met a mescalero at an organic market who was serving just amazing mezcal. We walked away with like 12 or 13 bottles and he said, hey, uh, you should come and visit my palenque, my distillery. And we're like, well, we'd love to, but you know, now we're getting ready to leave. We don't have any time. He said, that's okay when you come back next year. And literally, if he hadn't said that, I don't think we would have come back. Wow. So he gives, and he says all this in Spanish. I get it translated, right? 
so he gives us his contact information, and we make plans to go back. And I'm literally like confirming with him a few times beforehand, up until like two days before, and we show up at his place. And he'd completely forgotten we were coming. <laughs> oh, boy. Which, yeah, which, you know, still happens to me to this day. But it's me. <laughs> Hola. <laughs> so so, um, so we show up and he's like, oh, in pajamas. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I have forgotten. I, I'm, I'm busy this day. And then his son walks in and his son is Lalo. Now. I've been on enough distillery tours. I started the distillery for Rogue when I was there. Like, I kind of understood all this, I thought. I've been on enough distillery tours. I know how it goes. 45 minutes of walk and talk, 15 minutes of drinking, right? Mm. Eight hours later, (laughs) eight hours later, we leave Lalo's place. And it was such an epiphany to me to see, like, I thought... I thought he had created this method that nobody else had ever thought of to make a still, right? It looks like a, like a, a, a a brick pizza oven with a backyard chimney dropped into the middle of it. And how did this guy come up with this? And this is weird. And then a few days later, Connie and I are in Mexico city and I find this set of farmer's almanacs from the, uh, the 1940s. And I find the section on distilling and there's the blueprint for Lalo's still. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, there's something here. There's something here. And that's why we kept going back. And, yeah. you know, Lalo... How many trips at this point? Oh, I, like, it's 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 well more than 50. I, You know, pre-pandemic, I was doing eight trips a year. And yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm back up to it. I mean, I, I just got back. I just got back uh, on the weekend. I'm going again, not this Friday, but yeah, next Friday. Yeah. And then I get back for a week and I go down again. Like, I'm... Yeah, you're getting back up to those n- big numbers. Yeah. But, you know, Lalo, who who um, at the time spoke a lot of English and now less English, uh, I think, so that he doesn't have to talk to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, say me over Yeah. No hablo inglés, lo siento. Not so little siento, but yeah. see. Yeah. Uh, so Lalo um, mm-hmm. uh, is asking me about what I do for a living. And, uh, you know, and I run nonprofits here in Chicago. And the um, uh, since 2005, I've been running uh, the, uh, the programs for the Dolores Cole Education Foundation. This is what I do for a living. I don't make any money doing sacred. I spend money doing sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, That's way better. It, it, what's, what's way better? <laughs> Just spending all that money spending for a good cause, all, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. truly yeah um but so so um one of the programs that that i run is called story bus which is a children's museum on wheels that we bring to pre-k and kindergarten classrooms in low-income neighborhoods but when people hear story bus they think bookmobile not children's museum they think bookmobile like Mm -hmm. a mobile library yeah and that's what lalo thought and he said to me you know lou i want the kids in my community to have a better life than I have, and it's not going to happen if they don't learn to communicate. If they can't read, they can't write. And we don't have books, right? Like, when you think about Mexico, you think, oh, everything's cheap down there. But the truth is, like, a book is more expensive there than it is here. And when you think about the difference in wages, it's basically a week to two weeks salary for the average person in rural Mexico 
to afford one book. Jeez. Hmm. Right. And so he said, like, can you help me build a, a story bus for down here? I'm like, dude, have you seen your roads? <laughs> That's not going to yeah. happen. But, but it eventually led to um, that community building a library. And I was asked to help fundraise to build a library. Um, and that's, that's really how I started sacred. That's cool. Uh, and your fundraising efforts for sacred, I'm sure have been pretty thorough, like in this community, how different was it once your partnership with 818 started? Oh, dude, <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous. So, you know, first and foremost, I, I there is, there is no way that sacred would still exist were it not for hospitality industry, right? Like for the longest time, the biggest funders that I had were bartenders. I do events and you guys would come out and just empty your pockets. And it stunned me that, you know, you don't think, you don't think of people working behind bars and working tables as, as being wealthy people by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but man, the, the amount of money that the bartenders and waitstaff would give me is, is still mind blowing to me. Hmm. And, and so, you know, so it wouldn't have happened without them. Right. And then, uh, we started getting, uh, the occasional brand coming to us, um, wanting to give us money. And, you know, it, it really started, I think with, uh, Vamanos Riendo and El Bandido Yankee with big numbers like Miguel Malate is mail order company and Singusano, sort of the same thing in the UK. Um, immediately started giving us money that would clock in at a couple thousand a year. But then we started getting $5,000 to do a project from these two companies. And then, <laughs> then 1% for the planet. I get a phone call from the guys at 1% for the planet, which is a consortium of businesses uh, who have all committed to give 1% of their gross annual revenues uh, to charities that help improve the planet. And uh, I get this call from them like, why aren't you responding to our emails? Like, you're, like I'm, I'm assuming I'm on a spam list. Like, no, like we've got a tequila company, this anonymous tequila company that wants to choose you, like is interested in, in looking at you as their beneficiary. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? And so I filled out the paperwork. They did the investigation. They came back and said, yeah, you're good for the planet. Um, and uh, Did they and quiz you on your knowledge of keeping up with the Kardashians? <laughs> they did not. I didn't know. I had no clue at this point that it was 818. I really had no clue. Mm. I thought for sure, honestly, because when you go through the list of who makes alcohol and is part of 1%, I thought for sure it was like Sombra. Right, because yeah. they're part of it. God bless them. Is eight one eight the area code of Calabasas? It is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I get. I, yeah, I don't. It I, is. Definitely. It is. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew yeah, it was part of California. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know. But but yeah. So so um, then I get a phone call, and Chava and I just uh, just happen to be uh, coincidentally in Jalisco. Uh, when I get the call and they're like, uh, yeah, so it's 818 and they want to meet with you uh, tomorrow. To, uh, are you ready? <laughs> I'm like, sure. And it was a Zoom call. It wasn't okay, like in yeah. person. But, get to L.A. Yeah. But, you know, the first question they ask me uh, is, uh, so how many uh, bricks can you make in a day? I'm like, I, I, I could probably make three bricks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good for three, maybe four. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and the point that I made to them was like, you know, like I, I, I can find people to make bricks, 
that's what you want? Like, you think bricks is the thing? And they're like, yeah. I said, okay, well, what are you going to do with the bricks? Oh, well. And, and uh, like, that was the, the starting point for the real conversation. So it turned out that initially they had signed up with a different nonprofit. And the, that other nonprofit just wanted to talk about bricks. Uh, well, no, actually, just just social media, hmm. they said. And yeah. the fact that I was pushing back and saying, look, like, great, we can yeah, make the bricks. But, yeah. Right. Let's look at, like, you're going to have to spend this money on something other than making bricks, which is making something with those bricks. So let's talk about that. And, um, and I got to say, like, since that first conversation, they have been just as, as, as good a partner as I could ask for um, in that they let us java and i pitched them projects right right? and they have never said no to a project and um and we in turn go to the communities and we say hey we've got x resources you know this amount of money these kinds of things like bricks that we can provide what do you need and they come back to us you know the, the the best the best example i can think of is Chava goes to uh, uh, Rio de Paras, Michoacan, and and says all this to them, and they bring them into the uh, the town meeting, and there's a big debate until this this older woman stands up and says, "You know what we need? We need something for the young men to do in this town after school and after work that isn't drinking." And, and so she suggests, let's build this big community plaza. And in a lot of these, these towns, you'll find these giant squares where they play basketball and they play soccer. It becomes the, the space where they host their fiestas, yeah. their big celebrations. And so that's what we did. And in, in fact, I'm headed down there uh, a week from Friday, very specifically because it's done. And they want to throw a big party for us. And this is a community of like 50 Mescaleros. Yeah. Will 818 people show up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. So the, 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 like, Kendall's not going to be there, right? You know, like, not because she's dismissive of it, but realistically. She's busy. No, no, no. I mean, yes. But oh, no. like because of security stuff? Yeah, yeah dude. Like, as soon as, as soon as we signed up with 818, like, I, I increased our insurance. Like, I, you know, we're, we're going down there driving around. People know that we're connected with them. Like, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. How has your interaction with Kendall been? Fantastic. So, you know, she, as I say, like, th- thoroughly engaged, open to everything. You know, I had a, I, so, so the first thing that we pitched them, first project we pitched them, is there's this, uh, this mescalero in uh, southern Jalisco who's like fifth, sixth, seventh generation. Um, his... His distillery, what he calls his tachika, is built on a hillside. And that hillside has been uh, collapsing, wearing down as a result of, uh, of the weather pattern changes, the climate change, right? Where now we're getting these hurricane rains that are just eroding that hillside that his distillery is located on. And when we showed up there, you could see all of the bricks that he had tried to put in place like to hold it up just scattered down the side of the hill. And it's overlooking this beautiful forest. So the first thing that we pitched them was we want to bolster that that wall, right, retain that wall there, and then build a beautiful tasting room. He makes about 3,000 liters a year, and most of that's consumed by the locals. They show up to get their 
vino de mezcal that they're going to use in their religious celebrations and their family celebrations. So we wanted them to have a beautiful place to taste and then a good bathroom to utilize um, and then shoring up the actual distillery itself. And so in essence, what I'm pitching to 818 is we, we want to rebuild this guy's distillery. But really what I'm pitching is we want to preserve the cultural heritage of this person's family and preserve the cultural heritage of the community because without the spirits, you don't have the fiestas. Yeah. And, you know, initially Mike uh, at 818 was like, uh, Lou, you know, we're going to say yes because we trust you on this. But, you know, can, can the next project be like a, a library or a school or a hospital or something? Yeah, yeah, we can do that, Mike, sure, yeah. for sure. Um, but he told me like a month ago that he was on a Zoom call with Total Wine, I think it was. And Kendall was on that call. And when they asked her the question about what are you doing to preserve Mexico, which, by the way, you know, nobody's asking that about rum or about whiskey, about yeah. vodka. But they ask her that question. And instead of talking about the library, instead of talking about the, the community plaza, the thing that she spent all of her time talking about was that little tachica and preserving that cultural heritage in that community. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do a break for a second because I really have to use the restroom. <laughs> Woo! All right, so we have a new mezcal here now. <laughs> yes, and what, what have we just or poured here? Or is this here? a mezcal? Well, you know, it's, it's not. An agave and, distillate. Like, nothing that I've poured for you is actually certified, right? right. So it wouldn't so qualify as mezcal. And, you know, and I'll say, too, you know, like I, I want to make an explicit point of this because there, there are some people who are really angry that I won't call this mezcal. But in the communities where they make it, they call it mezcal, right? Mm -hmm. That's delicious. Uh, right. So this this one uh, is made by Isidro. Um, oh, I should, I should definitely use his full name. Let's see. It's Isidro Rodriguez um, in Rio de Paras, Michoacan. And it's made uh, with a bruto, which is an inakidans. That's the scientific name. And he used this, this tobardillo as a, uh, as a sort of a flavoring agent. What would you like a... Like a, you'd make a gin kind of thing. Uh, what would yeah, you call it's it? Floral, skittles, yeah. spicy. Definitely yeah. had an herbaceous. Yeah, but but so you know, I want to make a point of saying like, uh, if I'm like a rosemary or something, yeah, yeah. like a heartier herb. Yeah, I I don't know the difference between hearty and weak herbs. No, What's like the... you know, like a rosemary <laughs> like, stock is like very yeah. you know like a thick. Oh, you know. Oh, so you're like literally hearty. Just like. Uh, Leaf. It's just a leaf. You know? Just a leaf. But Stupid the hardier sage. herbs have like a mm. different flavor yeah. to them. Rosemary. Gusto. Yeah. 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 Girth. Yeah. <laughs> so that's <laughs> uh, gonna get me in trouble. Um, but Classic. you know, but you know, I, like if I'm if I'm talking to a Cedro or Lalo, I'll absolutely use the language that they use. You know, I'll call it mezcal, vino de mezcal, whatever. But you know, when I'm in the USA or even like in Mexico City, like I feel. It's a betrayal of those same people to call it a mezcal because they've worked so hard to make this tiny little batch, you know, 800 liters, 400 liters, 240 liters, 80 liters. They've done it by hand using these methods that are so inefficient and odious but create all of these beautiful flavors and aromas. And you call it mezcal and then some, some guy goes to the liquor store and says, I had this incredible thing called mezcal. Do you have any? Mm -hmm. And they walk right by the agave spirits because they're looking for mezcal. And they buy a bottle of Zignum, 
which is made using a diffuser, which is not, you know, me knocking Zignum, but I don't think it is in the best interests of these families to use that language and then have somebody like a Zignum get all of the benefit. Yeah, fair enough. So I call it an agave spirit. Or George Clooney. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> Casamiga. Oh, they yeah. do make a mezcal. They make they a mezcal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, and again, like George Clooney, I love. George Clooney will go to the Sudan physically himself. Like he does. He. I, I wish he did more work in Mexico. But mm. you know what? I, I, if you if you try to get everybody to do everything, they're gonna do nothing. And he does a lot of work in the Sudan, which is a place that needs a lot of work because we have to have our new cell phones. Yeah. yeah. So so. So here's, here's a question. Say someone goes down, drives south, they go to Chaparita, and then they go to Moreno's, and then they're faced with an entire wall of Mezcal. What are some things that the average consumer can look for to maybe find something that's a little more authentic? Um, well, I hate and, that word authentic. I well, hate sure. it. But, but I, know, I, I think you know I know what, I mean. what you mean. Like, authentic to the, to the process that's not maybe... Respects the culture. Sure, yeah. Authent- well, yeah, I mean... Well, anything I say is going to, again, be inaccurate because there's no easy way, right? Are but, there clues on the labels? Is yeah, there... I think Tim's saying, well, who are the producers to look for that we know are upholding, you know... The, the brands, you yeah. mean. Well, okay, so... Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> You know, so, it, 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 God, any, so I'm going to say names I mean, of brands. Well, we could even release, like, a, a possible small primer of stuff since, uh, it, yeah, we don't want to put you on the spot. It's no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. fine being All put right, on the cool. spot. My point is just simply, I'm going to leave names off and I'm mm-hmm. going to feel badly about it. And I, you know, like, I, like, that's just, there's no way that I can name yeah. every single I brand. Did, I didn't even mean names. Are there things to look for? Well, but that's the problem, it, right? Like, so so my instinct is to say to you, okay, we'll skip anything that is certified as mezcal and just look for things that say agave spirit. But I know okay. for a fact that there's some agave spirits that aren't certified as mezcal or tequila at Moreno's that are made using a diffuser. So it's not as simple. There's, like, there's no... Yeah, there is no shortcut. Yeah, you know, what what I like to do is point people to this website, mezcalreviews.com, because you go on there and just about everything for mezcal and for uncertified agave spirits and bacanor and ricea and all those things, except tequila, just about all of them are on there. And just about all of them will list the process, which will give you some idea, right, of of you know how they're made, what where they're made. But you're like you're a fan of Cinco Sentidos. I love the Cinco Sentidos. You're a fan of Ray Campero. Uh, I, I I like Ray Campero. Okay, I've got not I've as got, much as Cinco Sentidos. Yeah, no, I've got some other issues with Ray Campero, okay. which has nothing to do with the family that makes it. New issues. It's it's just it's the importer. Okay, he and I we we don't see eye to eye. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, but they but they do make delicious yeah, spirits. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, and, you know, and I'll, I'll say the other thing I will say about Ray Campero actually is in this world where so few of the brands of actual certified mezcal are owned by the people who make the mezcal, they're one of the very few. So you know, from that standpoint, don't let my, don't let my my yeah. uh, disagreements with the, the importer. Going to the people making it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's really it's really really hard uh, to give you an overarching answer to this is the easy way to do it. But if, so so mescalreviews.com and then for tequila, go to tequilamatchmaker.com. Okay. Yeah, it's a funny name. That is a great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Are you ready for this? Oh, he's got notes. This Love is the it. first on the pod. I got so intimidated hearing this, and I know like there's going to be things I forget. And Okay, go ahead. All right. Okay. Well, well, we got to start with what's your death row meal? You know, okay, so uh, I've got two <laughs> thoughts here. We only have 45 minutes for this one, though. <laughs> for this one, yeah, question? Yeah, one question? Okay, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. So, you know, I have two thoughts here. Like One, one is um, uh, for death row meal. I would go with the memelitas uh, made by Amando Alvarado Alvarez's mother in Santa Maria Ixcatlan. It's the most delicious thing I've ever eaten. The other thing that I would say is if I'm on death row, I've done something to be on death row, and I know what that something would be. So I would say that my <laughs> last meal would actually be I want to eat the body of the human being that I killed because it's a horrible human being, and I don't want there to be any DNA left for any possibility of, of um, uh, cloning. That's actually our most and, popular answer. And, oh, really? And and just to help repent for all of those bad deeds, I would do that with a shot of Malort. Okay. Wow. Okay. 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 Sorry, Bring it back right. home. Yeah. There you go. All right. What is an underrated agave distillate that you expect to explode in popularity? Oh, an underrated agave spirit that I would expect. Or maybe to... under the radar that maybe is ramping up production or something that you think is special that maybe hasn't uh, seen the attention it deserves? Well, okay, so so I'm going to... Oh, okay, you know, it, it, are, your, are your listeners primarily in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. I would say so. Okay, so that I'm going to say uh, Lalo Cura. And, you know, I've, I've shouted out Lalo's name a number of times. There's a globe on the bottle, right? I think that's a snail, actually. It might be a snail who is the earth. I don't know. It's a nice little scribble. But, but you know, like Lalo Kura is, is... I don't have my glasses on ever. Yeah, fair. Or, or you've, you've got your beer glasses on. You know, so, so he does such amazing agave spirits, and you don't find him his spirits available as frequently in Chicago as I would like to see it available. So I want everybody to run. Go, go to Moreno's, right? Yeah. And go and ask for that. Go everywhere and ask it's for Lalo Kuro. It is. Oh pricey. my God! You know, I I stumbled into his place. I'm stumbled into it. I I was there in October. Normally he knows I'm coming. Normally I know I'm coming. And I suddenly had this morning open, and I just went to Lalo's, and uh, and I happened to arrive four hours after he finished making a pachuga distillation, the kind where you instead of just distilling twice, he throws it back in the still a third time, throws in a bunch of fruit, throws in a, a giant in essence tea bag full of rice, throws in a raw chicken, and does this third distillation. And I got to taste the warm fruit, warm for the first time out of that still. I got to taste that that rice cake that becomes like this amazing fruit cake, this gluten-free fruit cake that is unbelievable. Huh. Um, oh. So Lalo, definitely Lalo Kura. Yeah. Now, what is with the chicken real quick? Because I remember, I was at... Uh... Uh, to get to the other side. Long, <laughs> I was at Big Star a long time ago, and I remember Pachuga was, there's a Pachuga that was the most expensive mezcal. I was with Isle, and he's like, yeah, we're going to a couple pours of the Pachuga. He's, the time, he's yeah. like, this stuff is uh, distilled with a dead chicken. And I was like, come again? 
Yeah. So what what's the what's the thought process there? It's like a ceremonial thing, right? You yeah. know, it's funny you would say that. I wrote a whole article about this for Inside Hook. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And you know, I I would say that like so much of this, there's. There's no way to say that it's a ceremonial thing. There's no way to say that it's not a ceremonial thing. What we do know is there are a lot of pachugas that are now made uh, very explicitly for the market. And I would say that's because when Del McGay hit the market, before Del McGay, the only thing you could find was, you know, Mescal with a worm. And yeah. it was definitely down market. And Ron Cooper started bringing in these really beautifully made spirits. And he he differentiated his line. I'm, I'm going to mess up the numbers, but in essence, it was like you had your 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 crema de mezcal at forty five dollars a bottle, and then you had like three expressions that were all espadine from different communities at sixty five dollars a bottle, and then you had your tobala at one hundred and twenty five a bottle, and then your pachuga was one hundred and seventy five a bottle. But now the pachuga was literally the same as the monero uh, espadine bottle that was sixty five just distilled a third time with like, you know, $20 worth of chicken and fruit thrown in. Yeah. You know, I, I really do think it's become, in essence, at least in our market, a marketing thing is why it's so expensive. Okay. And it's so fascinating. It's interesting to talk about. But I will also then throw that on its head and say, I would say anything that's being made in the way that these spirits are being made should never be as inexpensive as $65 a bottle. Yeah. Like, everything should be at least $200 a bottle. When you think about, you know, Four Roses small batch, what is that, 30,000 liters? Like, yeah, relative sizing, yeah. Yeah, and and what it takes to grow the sugar source and, like, all of the effort made, I, yeah. So, and then one last question. In what form is the chicken <laughs> being added? They throw in chicken breasts in there? Is it the whole... You, animal without the feathers what does that look like usually what they're doing is they're going to mcdonald's and getting chicken fingers mm -hmm. and <laughs> there, there is there is nuggets. no <laughs> that's what i meant chicken nuggets, nuggets. sorry Stilled. sorry <laughs> um you know they're, again they're like there is no single answer but most commonly what i will see is it's a raw chicken breast or turkey breast mm -hmm. and it's either actually floating in the distillate or it's hanging and the distillate passes through it most commonly and it's probably cooked by the end of that process. Yeah. In fact, in fact, like, I, again, I was just down there and they finished the process and Lala will tell you, oh, you can't eat the chicken afterwards. But let me tell you something. You can eat the chicken afterwards. <laughs> Where there's a will, there well, is a way. No, it's, it's even, it's, tell the tale. it's good. It's like, it's, it's like, um, uh, not as jerky as jerky and it's tasty. Okay. Yeah. Tastes like chicken. Yeah. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Oh, God, hidden gem. Okay, so uh, let me look at my list and figure... Oh, well, okay, so you know what? I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I will say that that for us, the hidden gem for the last few years, even pre-pandemic, has been Moonlighter. Yeah. And, and it, you know, and, it's, and for me, it's a... And, and for my wife, Connie, it's a hidden gem because you've got that fire outside, we can bring our dogs, and we can get vegan and gluten-free food, which, you know, where else can I do that? I don't know. <laughs> so it's my hidden gem. Well, thank you. That's Appreciate a win. it. Good answer. All right. Favorite fast food? Oh, man. Well, when I'm fasting, I'm not eating. So I'm not sure. <laughs> how about be, how, or before when Lou intolerance? Said, when Lou said chicken fingers to McDonald's, I knew this was going to be a tricky answer for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so I'm going with, with to, yeah, you can say no. I'm going to kind of cheat. Sure. Can I kind of cheat? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to. Moonlighter. 
<laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say sleepwalk. Okay. You know sleepwalk? I don't. Okay, so sleepwalk is one of the um, the dark matter uh, oh. locations, and it's oh. the one that is the chocolateria where they're making chocolate. Oh yeah. And so like the is, chocolate city one, the one. No, on, not the no, one on no, Grand. Not on Grand. No. no, it's down in Pilsen oh, okay. on Blue Island, and you know. Mm. I, so I, I would like, is, is it fast food? Well, I walk in and I'm out of there in, you know, five minutes with, with <laughs> chocolate. And I, like, if, you know, when I think about the things that I love in life, okay, there's my wife, there's my dogs, there's chocolate, then there's agave, then, right? Yeah. So I'm going to go with sleepwalk. For, what, and what do you get at sleepwalk? What's the order? Okay. Well, you know, they've got all these, the thing that they're doing that I love so much, that I love so much is... Okay, so do you, do you guys like chocolate? Yeah. yeah do you do you love chocolate? I like I love dark chocolate. Yeah. I'm a dark chocolate. Dark? Okay, guy. great. So what is your favorite variety of cacao? Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess I, I just Here's your lightning chocolate. round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so this is this is the thing is we all say we love chocolate. We know what kind of coffee beans we love. We know the grapes that we love in wine. We even, like in this room, probably know the agaves that we love, but we don't talk about cacao. And as a consequence, just as I'm talking about the monoculture of tequila, the monoculture of mezcal with the espadine, right? We've created a monoculture of forestero, of cacao, where something like 85% of all chocolate is made hmm. from a single variety. And as a consequence, we're putting at risk all these other varieties. What they are doing at Sleepwalk, what Dark Matter is doing, is they're taking each of these individual varieties from individual farms, primarily in Chiapas and Tabasco, Mexico, and they're making bars the exact same way, 80-20, 80% cacao, 20% sugar, exact same sugar, so that you can actually taste the difference in cacaos, and it's an epiphany of chocolate. Wow. Mm. Do they have like a sampler so you can kind of taste around and see what you like it depends on what you call a sampler i would call seven bars to go a sampler what would you call it <laughs> works for me there you go so like that for me fast food i'm in and out five minutes i got the chocolate i'm a happy lad how much chocolate are you consuming a day i you know or a week let's say no a day's fair like i'm probably <laughs> at about a bar and a half a day at this point wow i would love to eat throughout the day chocolate. at our house it's a nighttime treat after dinner, you have oh. a little bit of chocolate before bed. Oh, no, it has to be Usually in the morning. Usually in bed. Morning. For, yeah, it's, for it. me, it's morning. I could adopt your style. Yeah. Oh, and particularly with these bars. So, so you know, during the... popping these uh, truffles that Tim's sister dropped off over the holidays. <laughs> you got some of those, too? Yeah, yeah. We still have some. The unbranded lint truffles. Yeah. Why, why didn't... Wait. Oh, so she didn't make them. No. She made she... everything else in this gift bag, which was amazing, full of things that she had created. But the one thing she did not make in this bag were these truffles that are, are lint truffles, Yeah, right? she was at a packaging expo, and they were showing how to package these lint things. So she has, like, thousands of them, I think. Is it my? Is it Lindor or lint? Why am I... Uh, I don't know. Cause are there two? Yeah, L-I-N-D-T. Yeah, lint. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Like, like a, these little truffles. It's like a softer chocolate inside yeah. a harder shell. They're, they're pretty good. <laughs> they are really good. You, you know what? It's it's good in the way that a McDonald's hamburger yes. is good. Yeah. And then you... So, I, like, I no, had... I'm going to go to Sleepwalk. Oh, dude. Yeah. I had, um, I had uh, heart issues uh, just before the pandemic, and I had to go see a cardiologist. And... And you were like, please don't say no more chocolate. <laughs> oh, he, like, he 
walked me through everything that I was eating and he would say yes or no, but really he just said no. We got to chocolate. He said no. I said, hey, hey, hang on. And then I explained to him, I explained to him what Sleepwalk is doing. He's like, oh, wait a minute. That that might be okay. Uh, get me a sample. And then he, he started recommending Sleepwalk to all of his, uh, all of his heart wow. patients. Yeah. Hmm, just yeah. because it's not made with BS? Or? Well, because it's it's straight up cacao with a little bit of sugar. And, you know, the the, hmm. the bars are small enough that the calories are small enough. And it, it's wow. like, it's not, it's, I mean, to say it's heart healthy, I think would be an exaggeration. That's the claim but, you just yeah, made. Yeah. It's heart healthy. What did he say about the agave distillates? Uh... Uh, oh he no, he said listening. in moderation. You know, I honestly like I don't drink that much. It's yeah. it's one of the it's one of the reasons I have so hundreds. Much, yeah. I don't know the number, hundreds of bottles in my basement yeah. is because I just don't drink that much. I hold it for people to come over and yeah, taste, which is the best. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, what's your favorite non-agave spirit? No, oh, that's actually super easy. So, um, uh, Ancho <laughs> Bear Day. Oh, the Ancho Verde. Yeah, yeah, the green, the green variant of the Ancho Reyes. Yeah. Okay. I spent like an entire Mezcal festival where they debuted the Bear Day here in Chicago. Spent the like I didn't drink any agave spirits. I just drank that. Just rocks or what? Nope. Straight up. Straight up. Wow. And I like I can I can crush a bottle of that in a week if you let me. I like yeah. I have to I have it's to a hide fun flavor. Yeah, man, I love that stuff. All right, good answer. You didn't have to think about it. Yeah. All right. I probably know the answer to this, but what trivia category would you dominate? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that. Like, I want to say comic books, but the truth is, like, I haven't read a comic book in decades. That's eh, an exaggeration. I haven't, I haven't really read comic books in general. I've probably read, like, 30 comics in the last 30 years. Um, so it, I don't think it would be comics. I don't know that I would dominate it anything. Well, agave spirits. Yeah, agave spirit. I don't think that's a trivia trivia category, is it? No, it doesn't matter. What are you an expert on? Oh, I, you know what? But here again, like it's funny. So, so um, (laughs) there was there was a post online uh, yesterday, today, something like that, where one of these, okay, you're in the garden and uh, you go and you kill forty people in the the. Oh no, you're in the yard. You kill forty people in the garden. How many people left in the in the the garden? You killed the people in the yard. You were in the garden. You left the garden. And, then, you know, he wanted me to say the answer was zero. I was like, well, you didn't give me enough information. How many people were with me in the, the yard or in mm-hmm. the garden? And then, you know, how many came with me to fight the people in the yard? And like, so, so I would say that my answers, just as I'm confusing you with this <laughs> yeah, answer, my answers to answer. all the trivia questions... <laughs> Like, with, what's he's, the other spirit? He's flipping it on us. He's answering the question with a question. <laughs> with a series of questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I think you just shouldn't invite me to trivia now. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, this may even bleed into this question. Uh, to what do you attribute your success? Oh, yeah. No, that, actually, that's, that's another easy one. Like, this goes back to all of the adults who took care of me um, when I was a kid. Right? Like, I... I, I I I was lucky enough to have so many people who saw something in me that they were willing to spend time with me. And one of those guys, uh, you know, I, I grew up, as I said, in St. Charles. I don't think we were recording then. but it, So I grew up in St. Charles, just blocks from the flea market. And every month, this guy, Milt Rosenberg, uh, would show up and he would sell gold, silver, and comic books. And he, I was like... 
10, 11, 12 years old, he hired me to work with him uh, that first weekend of every month and did that until I turned 18. And, you know, he, he A, he gave me money, but B, he, he taught me so much about how to interact with people, but also just so much about empathy. And, you know, it's like I, I, I took it for granted as a kid because so many people took so much care of me. And so when I turned 18 and I left for school, this is before Facebook. I don't, do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I, I, lost, I lost touch with him. And, you know, his name, Milt Rosenberg, is the same name as a guy who was a, uh, a radio host at WGN for so long. And so whenever you try to find Milt Rosenberg, you'd end up with this yeah. guy. And I re- even reached out to this guy, and he was super, super nice, the, 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 that WGN host, and tried to help me, but we just couldn't find Milt. And so in 2019, I was at lunch with a friend of mine. And one of the things I mentioned was, you know, Milt did the flea market just, you know, it's like, can I say shits and giggles? Yeah, yeah they're course, swearing yeah. in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he did it just for shits and giggles. And, uh, and he, his real job was as an actuary. And she happened to be dating an actuary. So she knew that that, you know, that you had to be licensed for that. And she, she did a quick search and she found him hours later. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So like, so I end up having lunch a few weeks later with this guy that I hadn't seen since I was 18 and I'm wow. older than 18 now. Like it had been, <laughs> it had been decades and decades That's and trippy. decades. Wow. What was it like? I couldn't stop crying. I felt so badly for him. Cause like he hadn't seen me and like, here I am just a bawling mess. Cause he really did set me off on a trajectory that that I wouldn't have been on. Oh, wow. and, yeah. And, and so, so, um, so it was this beautiful lunch and he says, why don't you come back to the house and see Sharon, his wife, who he had been married to then. And, uh, and I said, you know what, I have to go in, uh, and do this, this work thing, which I had to do. Um, and he said, well, you know, we leave tomorrow for Florida, uh, but we'll be back in the spring. So let's get together again. I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and then COVID. Mm. And, and then he died of cancer. Oh, oh man. Yeah. So, you know, like, it, it's, it's utterly heartbreaking to me that I didn't get to see him a second time. No, but, the but you fact got to see him once. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's pretty huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, cool. so if I'm a success, it's because people like Milt. Yeah. You know? That's a, that's that's a great answer. All right. Does everybody then... say Milt? Yeah, everyone says <laughs> Most Milt. Most of them do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's ever met him. Yeah. Uh, and then the last question, what's something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Oh yeah. I was waiting for this. Um, <laughs> here we go. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, which is without the people who work in bars and restaurants, there'd be no sacred. And you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to get annoyed by little things. The hard, the hard thing I think is to focus on the big picture there is absolutely nothing that any bar or restaurant does that should annoy me. And there are things that do because I'm an idiot, right? <laughs> like there, we, all, we all have an inner asshole and mine might actually be bigger than most. Um, but the, the big picture is like there is – it, it's such a hard job. I'm telling you this, right? It's such a hard job to run a restaurant. You don't know who's going to show up, how many people are going to show up, what they're going to want to order. How many tomatoes do I need? I don't know how many tomatoes. Onions? I don't, I don't have a clue. And that stuff doesn't stay good forever. I think it's such a hard job that, you know, if there's something that annoys you, bury it. Eat at home. 
<laughs> there you go. Oh. Eat it. Bury it, accept it, and realize that the gift that they're giving you with this hospitality is greater than the annoyance that you might feel at whatever is causing your annoyance. Another yeah. great answer. Good stuff. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Yeah, that's thank you. Beautiful. Thanks hey, so much for here. joining us. This is really fun. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to preach the gospel. Love it. All right. Bye. And that concludes our episode with Lou Bank. Thanks for joining us this week on Joiner's Pod. Uh, feel free to check out our Instagram at Joiner's Pod. We do throwback photos on Thursdays and do some cocktail recipes along with our posts. And we'll soon be adding some video content. Ooh. Little teaser there. We'll, uh, we did some work at Scofflaw, the bar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I put Fine on my bar. bartending cap. Yep. And. Uh, Made a fool of myself. Yeah, Tim was in his bartending fedora. That's that's right. Only one fedora <laughs> at a time in the group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thanks for thanks for sticking with us. This and don't episode, forget, oh. this episode was produced by Matt and Teo Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.